Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. I want to welcome everybody at our 288 campus, Friendswood campus, Alvin campus, Webster campus, everybody at the Pearland campus, and uh, uh, welcome everybody joining us online from everywhere, and also the Weibo Bible Church in Weibo, Montana. Glad to have you on board today as well. Uh, awesome to be in church today. Would you agree with that? Awesome to be in God's house today. I'm thrilled to be here. Hopefully, when you came in today, you received one of these, did you not? Hopefully, you did at all of our campuses, and if you're uh, watching online, uh, today we're going to take communion at the end of the service, uh, something available every week at our church, but we uh, take the time in the sermon once a month uh, to, to reset uh, this in our hearts and minds. So if you did not receive a cup, then uh, perhaps uh, Usher will see you if you wave your hand to them as they walk around either now or at the end of the service and make sure that uh, you have one of these for that time. Now, here's the deal. Uh, amazing couple of weekends uh, for our student ministry. And I know it's already been talked about, but I just want to say it again. Thank you, God, for our student ministry at this church. I mean, you take, you, you look at, you look around, you know, uh, across the nation, around the world, kids getting in trouble and stuff, and, and, and yet we have, you know, at this church, nearly a thousand kids going to the camp at, at wintertime and getting fired up about Jesus and, and uh, kids being baptized across all of our campuses today. Thank you, God, for blessing our church family in that way. Thank you, God. Now, if you have been tracking with us, we've been in a series of series. We've been working our way through the book of John, and uh, today we're going to enter into the final series that's going to take us to the end of the book of John, and that is called The Disciples' Final Training. This is the fourth and final series, although we'll tag Easter on to the end of this, but uh, Pastor Mike that uh, shared with us last week, he shared with us last week, and he told us that the first 12 chapters of the book of John take three and a half years. First 12 chapters, three and a half years. Next seven chapters, next seven chapters covers one day. So 12 chapters, three and a half years, seven chapters cover one day. And it's these uh, chapters, chapters 13 through 19 that we're gonna be looking at in this series. And I know I'm fond of saying things like this. Please don't ignore me just because I say things a lot over and over. A lot. And, and here's what I often say, man, you could do more than one series out of this section of scripture. What's well, true every time I say it, okay, it's true in this occasion as well, that you could probably preach a series out of each one of these chapters, chapters 13 uh, through 19. I would encourage you to read through these uh, as we move toward Easter. And the reason that uh, I want you to read these is because I always want you to read your Bible, but also because we're not going to get to everything there is to get in these chapters. So uh, in your quiet time with the Lord, it'd be great if you could read these chapters again and again, and uh, then it'll be Easter when we get done with these particular chapters in the Bible. And <clears throat> as has been stated, perhaps at your campus, 
invite someone for Easter. Easter is a low-hanging fruit weekend to get somebody to go to church that doesn't normally go to church. So if you have somebody in your life that does not know Jesus or doesn't have a, a church home, invite them to come with you on Easter weekend. And that's our Pearland grand opening. It's the grand opening of the Pearland campus, where, by the way, we got our papers now. We're official at the Pearland campus, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, so, so you don't have to hide at Pearland anymore. You, you, won't, you won't get arrested for going there. But uh, Pearland Campus Grand Opening, Easter weekend, y'all especially. Everybody needs to invite somebody to, to uh, Easter weekend across all of our campuses, but especially at the Pearland Campus. It's a grand opening. It's Easter. You're not going to have that happen again. I say that 16 years ago we had a grand opening, and now we're having another one. But Invite somebody. This is your chance to get somebody into church that wouldn't normally go to church, so take advantage of it. And uh, you've probably heard this, but we have a lot of services, 30 services total across all of our campuses on Easter. 30 services total. <laughs> That's a lot of services. But uh, uh, anyway, then, then, and the grand opening for Pearland and all that. Then after Easter, we're going to do this series, Act Like Men. Four weeks after, after Easter, in a culture that's uh, pushing gender confusion and thinks that all masculinity is toxic, we are going to do what we do at this church. We're going to go to the Bible and see what God says on this subject. I don't mean to give anything away, but the name of the series is Act Like Men. So, and at all of our campuses, we're going to have manly things going on during the... Don't even ask me what that means. Some manly things going on. Scratching or something. I don't know. We're going to be done. Manly things happen at all of our campuses. One rumor that I have heard that is going to happen, at least on one weekend during this series, is that we're going to have bacon donuts. Bacon. And you know what I said when I heard that rumor? Why don't we have those every week? And uh, so, anyway, Easter, act like men, but first, uh, let's do this series right here, The Disciples' Final Training. Now, today we're going to be in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you want to join me there in your Bible or on your device. And again, I encourage you to read 13 through 19, chapters 13 through 19, to get all that's there. In our last series, The Road to Jerusalem, we learned that Jerusalem was too hot for Jesus. And what I mean by that was it was too hot for him to walk freely because the religious leaders were trying to kill him. They, they kept trying to kill him, to stone him, to apprehend him. And so he was constantly avoiding and escaping their attempts on his life. Why? Why was he avoiding and escaping? Was he afraid? No, he wasn't afraid. It was because it wasn't time. It wasn't time for him to die yet. He was on a timetable set by God the Father. But here we are in chapter 13 now, and in the very first verse, we see that things have changed. Check this out. John chapter 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. See this? He knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, Again, Jesus is working off of a timetable set by God the Father. Part of that timetable, I'm sure, was to fulfill prophecy, including the one that he was the Passover lamb who shed blood would take away the sins of the world. And so it makes total sense that his death on the cross would be in conjunction with the Passover feast. But I also believe that part of this timetable was so that he could have these last hours, and we're talking hours now, 
to give the disciples their final training. And the lesson that he gives them in chapter 13 is a game changer, a game changer for the disciples, and it's a game changer for us if we will receive it. Lord, teach us today to be more like Jesus. Amen? Now, if you've been to a semi-nice hotel, then you know that sometimes they have bathrobes. You ever seen this at a hotel? Bathrobes. And... Uh, they even have, at some, some places, and, and I, I know this is true because I read the little card, some places you can even keep the bathrobe. Here's a picture of the bathrobe from the Ritz-Carlton website. Ritz-Carlton says uh, on their website, you know, that if you stay and you want to keep the bathrobe, you can keep it if you choose to keep it. But they say also in fine print, we'll charge your room $135 for this <laughs> And that's how much this one costs right here, $135. I don't know if that's a good price for a robe or not. I've never owned a robe, okay? <laughs> but uh, by the way, I looked at Holiday Inn Express website, no robes, no robes. <laughs> and Holiday Inn Express is my jam, it's my jam. And, and, but it's not because of the robes, it's because of the rolls. <laughs> Anybody say amen to that? Is it cinnamon rolls? Yeah, for free, for free. At the breakfast, okay, that's me, that's, a, that's the way I roll right there. But uh, and that's the second breakfast food I've mentioned in this sermon already, and <laughs> must be hungry. But anyway, the first time that I ever saw that option, keep the robe, keep the robe, keep the robe, I thought, why in the world would I want to keep a robe, especially one with the, the hotel name on it? Why would I want to keep it? And then it occurred to me, it's what it represents. Uh, a hotel luxurious robe represents leisure and wealth and privilege. Like if you can sit around in your robe all day in a five-star hotel, it means you've got it made because you can just kick back and you got room service. You can take as long a shower as you want to take. Your toiletries all get replenished and bottles of water and so forth. And somebody comes in and puts clean sheets on your bed every single day. They take out your trash. Meanwhile, you're just chilling on the balcony with your AirPods in your ears and your too big for your face sunglasses and your $135 robe, you Kardashian, you. you. And that's kind of what the world tells us that true success looks like, is this right here, lounging in a robe while people are taking care of you, while people are serving you. However, in this final training, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples and teach us something very, very different from what the world teaches. In fact, Jesus, in, in, if you've ever read the Gospels, he takes everything the world says and he turns it upside down. He turns it upside down. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us the last will be first and the first will be last. He says, if you want to become the greatest, you must become the least. He says, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it for my sake. And if you want to go to the top, you've got to go to the bottom. The life that Jesus has called us to is not the life of a luxurious robe where people are serving us. He hasn't called us to a life where people serve us. He's called us to a life of service. It's not the life of the robe. It's the life of the towel. 
And I want to show you that from John chapter 13 today. John chapter 13 is one of the most mind-bending passages in the entire Bible. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But just remember, we got the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of all creation. We've got the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Holy One. And what he's about to do in the upper room is unimaginable for someone of his stature and status. Let me set the scene. It's late on Thursday night. The disciples and Jesus, Jesus have gathered in that upper room and, and they're having the last supper together. And let me show you something first of all that John doesn't tell us. John doesn't tell us, but Luke does. Over in his account of this evening, Luke tells us that the disciples had earlier, they had been arguing with each other. Here's Luke chapter 22. Verse 24 says, a dispute also arose among the disciples as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So the night that Jesus was arrested, the, the night that his torture would begin before his crucifixion, the disciples are arguing about which one of them was the best. Now, definitely not a good look, but an honest account, and I'm glad it's there for us to read. Jesus, in, in the book of Luke, Luke records, he gave them a couple of sentences of instruction, including this one, the greatest among you is the one who serves. Now, John doesn't record Jesus' words there. Instead, he goes straight to what Jesus did there. Jesus picked up a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I have to imagine it got very quiet in the upper room. These are the guys that were just arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest, which one of them was going to have a better seat on Jesus's cabinet when he became king. And uh, they, were, they were jockeying for position, who would sit at his right hand and so forth. And they see Jesus, their king, they see him get down on the floor with the towel around his waist and begin to wash their dirty feet. Now, when it was all over, Jesus said this in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He calls them to do for each other what he has done for them. And as followers of Jesus Christ in church today, this is our calling, to serve one another. This is who we are. This is what we're called to do. In fact, let me give you a few truths today about being a servant of Christ that comes straight out of John chapter 13. And the first one is this, we will serve imperfect people. We will serve imperfect people. The example that Jesus gives us in the upper room is, is one that, again, is mind-blowing because of he who is doing it is that we cannot be picky about whom we serve, about who God tells us to serve. Let me show you what I mean. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Okay, wow, listen to this. Jesus is about to be betrayed and then arrested. 
and then tortured and then crucified. It's all going to happen within 24 hours. And he knows that Judas is the one who will betray him. He knows it. Are you listening to me? He knows it's Judas, and he washes his feet anyway. Who else we got around the table? We got Peter. Peter, who would deny Jesus within hours of this occasion, he would deny that he even knows who Jesus is three different times. We've got 10 other disciples around the table who will abandon Jesus when he needs them the most. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows it about Judas. He knows it about Peter. He knows about these other guys. Here he is at the table with guys who claim to be his friends, but will deny him, betray him, and abandon him in mere hours. Jesus knows it, and he still washes their feet. I got a question for you. What would you do in a room that was full of people who said that they were your friends but would betray you, deny you, and abandon you within hours? What would, uh, don't answer that actually, don't answer that's a bad question. <laughs> I, uh, I know what I wouldn't want to do. I wouldn't want to serve them. What's Jesus do? Verse five. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is giving us a master class in kingdom work. Even though the disciples at this point were still struggling to understand that he was going to die on the cross to save them and to save all who would place their faith in him, their commitment level is very much lacking in these moments. But still, what's Jesus do? He goes all in on them. He goes all in on them. And then he says, okay, serve others as I have served you. Now you think about this. I think Jesus had other things on his mind as well. He had these concerns about things that were about to happen to him. He's literally about to be tortured to death. But he still serves others. He chose, he chose the, not, the, not the luxurious robe, but he chose the towel, serving without expecting anything in return. Now, I'll tell you what, that's tough, to serve without expecting anything in return. But think about this, to serve when you know people that you're serving are going to bail on you or turn on you, that's even tougher. And I think most of us would be, if we knew those things, most of us would be like, if that's the way it's going to be, if they're, if they're going to treat me like that, then forget about it. I'm going to hang up the towel. But when that thought hits us, and it probably will sooner or later, like, why am I doing this for this person? Because they're never going to do anything for me. If that thought ever, ever hits you, I want you to remember this. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Feet that would soon lead the soldiers to arrest him. Jesus went all in for his disciples, as verse 1 said, and he loved them all the way to the end. He went all in for the disciples, and, and, and guess what? He went all in for you, even when you weren't all in for him. I know that because Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, I'm going to personalize it for me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was without a clue 
Christ died for me. Before I loved him back, he loved me and gave himself for me. Which means his love for me, his love for you is not based on our performance because he died for us before we ever did anything for him. His love for us is because he chose us and he chose to love us and so he gave himself for us. He served, he served imperfect people and he says, now you do the same. We are servants and we serve imperfect people. Then another truth from the text. We just see a need and meet it. We see a need and meet it. Any need that God leads us to meet, we just, we just meet that need. We do what we can do because that's what Christians do. In other words, we don't have to do the thing that's the most glamorous. We don't have to do the thing that's going to get us the most likes on social media. We don't have to have the spotlight on us. We just do whatever it is that God is prompting us to do when we see a need. What, here's a good question. Why did they even wash feet back in the day? It's not something that we typically do nowadays. Why did, well, you, hopefully you wash your own feet, but why did they wash each other's feet back in the day? Here, here's a short answer. Because feet were dirty. <laughs> feet were dirty. Everyone wore open-toed shoes uh, like sandals and, and, so, and dusty roads, so your feet would always be dirty. Now, we don't have to worry about that as much because we have all these hard surfaces to walk on. Things are clean. We go from the, the car. We go down the sidewalk, up the driveway, into our home. We don't have to walk through the dirt and mud. Usually, I know some guys that won't even walk on grass with their shoes on. You know any of those kind of guys? Because their shoes are so expensive. That you ever meet a sneakerhead, you know, that... Those guys, they, they won't even crease their shoes. Like, you know what I mean by that? Like, they're like, I paid $200 for these. And so they don't want to go like this because I might crease their shoe. And so they walk like this. <laughs> about fell down. About fell down. Yeah. So I don't think it's as much of an issue nowadays as it was back in the day. Back in the day, here's the kind of road that you would have to walk down. This is a actual picture from an old book. It's an old picture from an old book, obviously not 2,000 years old, but it shows what is described in the book as an ancient road leading from Jericho to Jerusalem. Um, this, this particular road would, would have been one like Jesus would have walked on. In fact, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus coming from uh, Bethany beyond the Jordan where he went after the attempt on his life. He went to Bethany beyond the Jordan where he was safe. He came back to raise up Lazarus from the dead, back to the area of Jerusalem, to Bethany, well, about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. He would have walked up a road like this right here. And it's, I'm just saying, it's not bad, but it's still just, especially if you got sandals on, you're not riding high like these guys right here. You're walking, your feet are getting dirty. And so... Part of the custom back in the day was when you got to somebody's house, the lowest of the low on the totem pole working that day, the lowest servant would have washed your feet. And on this night, in a room filled with 12 hardy, able-bodied disciples, anyone of whom could have volunteered to wash the feet of all the other guys, yet they skipped the wash bowl and went straight for the food. And no one volunteered for the job. And so it would appear that in this room there were no servants. And then Jesus, and then Jesus, the creator of all that is, King of kings and Lord of lords, infinite God without beginning or end, 
got down on the floor with the towel wrapped around his waist and began to wash their dirty feet. Jesus was teaching them, and he's teaching us today, that here's what his followers do. You see a need, and you do something about it. You just do it. That's how life in the kingdom is. And, and maybe it's something that we need to be reminded of today. Christ followers serve. And we don't serve because we're looking for something in return from that person. And I want you to get this. It's not like I'm going to do this for me, be, for you because I think that eventually you'll do something for me. That's not why we serve. Well, then why do we serve? Because Jesus Christ has done so much for us. So we serve others in his love. We have, you think about this, we have everything that we need. We have salvation. We have heaven someday. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been made brand new. We are new creations in Christ. He's promised to meet our needs as we go through this life and take us to heaven someday. We've been blessed beyond measure. He has done that for us. And now he says, as I have served you, he didn't, he didn't say, serve someone else so they'll give you something back. He says, as I have served you, so serve one another. Sometimes, sometimes, you just serve just because God is asking you to serve. Listen, I, I know back, in, I think it was back in the 90s, churches were all in the spiritual gift quizzes and temperament and personality kind of quizzes. And we're always filling out charts and trying to figure out exactly where we should serve and what we should do. You know, it, was, it cracked me up back at the time. You know, it's like, is it, and, and I, but I think people use it as an excuse. They're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to help with that because it's not exactly right in my gift mix. And and exactly what I'm supposed to do, and I think a lot of people use it as an excuse. Let me tell you what Christ followers do. Christ followers see a need, God prompts them, and they get up and they do something about it. Amen? That's what we do. We see a need, and when God moves in our hearts, we do what we can to help meet that need. And I want to show you a prayer that I found. This has been a long time ago now, but I found this prayer. And just in case you think that something is beneath you. Lord, help me to do big things as if they are little because I do them in your power. And help me to do little things as if they are big because I do them in your name. Amen. Now, of course, the underlying ingredient here to serve in this way is humility or meekness. Meekness. Jesus was meek, but Jesus was not weak. Meekness is, as, as you may know, a strength under control, just like a horse with a bit in its mouth and the reins that control it, you can put a 35-pound kid on top of a gargantuan horse, and the kid can control it because it's, it's powerful, but it's power under control. There's your rodeo reference for the day. It's power under control. Jesus had a whole lot of power, but he had it under control, so he was meek, but he was not weak. For anyone who thinks that Jesus was meek, he was, not, he, was, he was not weak. He was not weak. In fact, I heard a pastor say this once upon a time. If you think that being meek is being weak, then try being meek for a week. It's tougher than you think. <laughs> it's Pastor Dr. Seuss, I think, but <laughs> makes the point. And this is the life that we're called to in Jesus' name. 
to just serve. And then one more truth, and then we're going to take communion together. Serving is a lifelong calling. It's a lifelong calling. It's not just for an hour each week when we show up at church, although I feel like everybody needs the help in the kingdom of God. It's that important. But if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, your attitude of serving doesn't end when you drive out of the parking lot of church. Instead, it's a way of life for your entire life every single day. And you think about it, tennis players play tennis, football players play football, home builders build homes, mechanics fix cars, politicians, never mind, never mind, they, they got their own deal. Uh, Christ followers serve. Christ followers serve. Jesus said in verse 15, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You know, when we're babies, it's all about us. And if you've had a baby in your house and you know this, they just cry, they're like, somebody, come over here. You know, if they could speak, that's what it would sound like. Get over here, somebody, and take care of my needs. Somebody feed me. Make me. I don't want that food. I want different food. Or, or entertain me, I'm bored over here. Somebody needs to come in here and change my diaper right now, right now, get in here. And, but it's all about everybody serve me, serve me. But when we grow up, it's not supposed to be like that. However, sometimes for some, it does not change. We get married and we're still like, you know, with our spouse. Me, my needs, take care of me. I'm not happy right now. You need to make me happy. You need to make me happy. You're, you're failing on your job here. And, or, or we do it in our Christian lives, and sometimes our prayers can be so selfish. God, do your job. Do your job. Give me some money. I need some more money, Lord, right now. Right now, give me the money. Make me more successful, Lord. And some people live like that, but a mark of maturity is when you go from meet my needs to how can I meet somebody else's needs? This is spiritual maturity right here. It's not all about me. It's about me serving in Jesus' name. Now remember the disciples were over here. They'd just been arguing about which one of them was more important, which one of them was the greatest. And then Jesus grabs a towel and goes to work. And I'm thinking that after the resurrection, they were, they were thinking back, just imagine their, their thoughts in those moments when they were like, you remember that argument that we had right before Jesus washed our feet? What were we thinking? What were you thinking? I think that all clicked with them after the resurrection. And when it clicks for us, it's a great step of spiritual maturity. And it's also when we can get God's blessing on our lives. Verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? If you do them. So I want you to see this today. You're not blessed if you know them. That's not where the promise comes in. The promise comes in if you do them. Guess what? You know it now. You know it. Be blessed and do it. Serve in his name. And, you know, you can Google it for yourself, but there are so many studies and so forth out there that say people who volunteer, people who serve, people who are generous, people who give of themselves sacrificially to others are happier and more fulfilled than those who do not. But I don't need a study to prove to me that Jesus is right because I know he is. Amen. And so today, if you're riding a little low in the saddle spiritually, there's another rodeo reference. If you're riding a, 
Sorry, if you're riding a little low in the saddle today spiritually, I'm telling you, you will be happier, you will be more fulfilled if you serve like Jesus. Amen? Take out your communion cup, all of our campuses. Now, I want you to go ahead and take out the bread. You can see it on one end of the cup. If you've never had a cup like this before, there's two ends to it. Take off the wrapper where the bread is. And then I just want you to hold the piece of bread for a moment. I don't know if you know this, but on the same night that we're talking about, in John chapter 13, this is the same meal, the same gathering where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or communion. And uh, he took the bread, the Bible says, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Um, whenever you eat of this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of the cup, do so in remembrance of me. And so we have a representation of his body and of his blood uh, that he sacrificed for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and says, before you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, that you need to take a moment and do a personal examination. And I just want to just point you in the right direction today. When, when we do this at our church, it's not so that you can like think to yourself, am I good enough? Am I good enough? We're, none of us are good enough. We're not good enough. We're not worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. We're sinners saved by God's grace. Somebody say amen to that. We're sinners saved by God's grace. So that's not the question. The question is not, I'm going to bow my head and close my eyes. Am I good enough? The question is, is there an area of my life where I'm holding back on God? Have I fully surrendered to him? Is there a pattern in my life that needs to be changed? Is there something that I need to repent of? Is there something that I need to confess? Then you take these holy, holy moments before we eat the bread, drink of the cup, and just get things right with God. And today, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in him, then my goodness, before you do this today, just give him your whole heart. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior, and it'll be the best decision that you've ever made. So at all of our campuses, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, and take a few moments and get right with God. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.